Welcome to the Ambitious and Balanced Working Mom Podcast, the place for women who want to balance their ambitious career goals with their life as a mom. If you're looking to feel more confident, decisive, and productive at both work and home, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Rebecca Olson. Let's get to it. I have such a treat for you in this podcast. I interview Maggie Reyes, who is a marriage coach, and together we talk about inequitable households and what to do about them. Because we as women, particularly as ambitious women, often feel like the household duties, not just the tasks, but the mental load of managing our house and everything that goes along with that. We as ambitious women feel like we often do too much, that our spouses or partners don't contribute in the way that we would like them to. As ambitious women, we tend to get resentful, we feel guilty and frustrated, and we don't know how to get our spouse to do the things that we need them to do so that we stop feeling so overwhelmed and anxious and exhausted all of the time. Well, in this interview with Maggie, we address this from the female perspective. We address this from the perspective that we can never change our husbands. And if that's the case, if we can never really force them to do anything, we can't make them do more in our house. If that's true, what are our options? How do we try to create a more equitable house or a household that we enjoy being in, that we feel that we are not doing absolutely everything in, and that the responsibilities are shared in some way. What are our options if it can never be our partner, our spouse doing something since we're never in control of that? We break down several strategies, including you know, how do you initiate conversations with your spouse? How do you change your expectations of what's possible? How do you let them fail so that they can learn and grow? And ultimately, we just debunk this patriarchal idea that women are better equipped to manage the household because it's simply not true. You ready? Let's get to it. Maggie Reyes, I am so excited that you are here with me in this podcast. I was just, I just recommended your MBA to somebody. Actually, I just oh. sent her an email. Yeah. With your program, because you're fabulous. And I would only ever send somebody to you at this moment because you are all things marriage related. And I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Thank you for having these deep conversations about it, what, what it means to be a woman and a professional and a wife and all the things in life. I think we have to have so many of these conversations. We're recreating what it is to be a woman in the 21st century. I'm here for all of it. Oh my gosh. I love it. And there's no doubt that you are here for all of it and all of your energy and all of your goodness and all of your great coaching. And what I what I think I gravitate a lot towards you when we talk, I mean, obviously you're a marriage coach, so I gravitate towards you in that conversation, but I love that you you really coach the the female side of yes. the relationship, right? So it's like that not needing the other person to do anything in order for you to have the marriage that you want and for you to have the life that you want. Like that's really your specialty that I love because I love the so many of the the women I I work with. I mean that we 
they don't want to be waiting on anyone else and they don't want to be waiting on their circumstances. They don't want to be waiting on their spouse. They don't want to be waiting on their boss. Like they're ambitious women. They want to go out and have the life that they want. And there's sometimes this thing that feels like it's in the way to how, you know, for them to get it. And so on this podcast, what we're talking about is their partner. (laughs) Their partner feels like it's in the way. And in particular, you know, the reason I reached out to have this conversation was because so so often I have to coach women on like the inequitable marriages where they feel like they are absolutely doing everything in the marriage and or not in the marriage, but in the family for the family. And they don't know what to do about that. <laughs> they come to me and they're like, but why do I have to plan everything? And why do I have to be the one that spearheads everything? And so, I mean, I think there's just so much rich content in here. And obviously I coach on this, but I, I could think of nobody better than to have you on the podcast to talk about this. So thanks for being here. Awesome. I coach on this all the time too. So I think we're going to have a really rich conversation about it. And I think, you know, we live in a world that is unequal. Like versus just look at factually speaking, right? If we look at the pay gap, if we look at all these different things that you're coaching on all the time, there are some you know, circumstances that are factual with regards to how the world we currently live in is set up. And there are some mindsets that I call them like internalized patriarchy. It's like the, the cultural narratives we receive, whether it's growing up, whether it's from family, friends, examples that we have around us, they are coming externally to us and then we internalize them and then they become ours and then we perpetuate them. And so What's great about a podcast like this and a conversation like this is we're just inviting everyone who's listening to say, if you're doing things you don't want to be doing, this is the perfect moment to question, to question that, knowing that we were all doing the best we could with what we had when we made those original decisions in the first place. Yes. Right. For sure. Like our, both ourselves and our partners have grown up if we're in sort of like modern industrialized nations, wherever you're listening to this, we've (laughs) we've grown up to like in a patriarchal culture with certain mindsets that we've inherited. Now we get to decide moving forward, like today is the day we get to decide moving forward how we want to handle that, what we want to do, what we want to keep, what we want to change with loving compassion for ourselves and our partners, right? We just want to come at it from this place of it isn't working. What do we really want next? So that's just where I start talking about it. And then I know Rebecca has some very specific questions she wants to talk about. So let's let's dig in wherever you want to start. I love that. And I love that you want to start there and that you, you brought that up to start there because it's so, it's true in all sorts of facets of life, not just in marriage, but you know, I we talk a lot about it when it comes to parenting because we kind of inherit, if you will, yes. how yes. our parents parented us, and we either repel against it and we rebel as much as possible, or we just it naturally becomes who we are, and and so and we just parent that way, and then we get frustrated, and so the idea that wherever you're at in your marriage and and the roles that you play in your marriage however you've gotten to this point it doesn't necessarily matter <laughs> it is a it is a conglomerate of culture and history and your family traditions and what you grew up with and what you saw and your beliefs and all these things it's a conglomerate of all of that we don't have to judge it on how you're here and i love that we're coming at it from that place of safety like we're not we don't need to go backwards at all it's just like hey we're here and we notice that in the family, you play a role that you don't want to play or in the way that you're playing it now. And what do we want to do about that? And, and, and let's move forward to talk about 
what that means. Yes. So I love it. Thank you for bringing that as a as a starting place up. So one of the things I think would be a really helpful place just to start is talking about, and I think this is like a great next conversation, which is that we have these ideas that women are just better at managing the family. Like that seems to be a belief that we hold is like women can seemingly handle the multitasking role of planning their family and strategizing and so forth. And it's, it's again, it's one of these like beliefs that probably most people have never really questioned before. But I'm curious, as you talk to women, do you believe that there's just a role that a female is more designed to be in than a male? Honestly, I don't. Okay. Yeah. Tell me about that. I'm not sure if I have an opinion about this, actually. So I'm just, I'm curious what you think about it. I think that we all have different skills and abilities and what is cultivated strengthens. So if we cultivate that part of ourselves, that it's like a muscle we're working out, of course, it's going to be stronger. And if we never work out that muscle, of course, it's going to be weaker, but it doesn't mean that muscle isn't there to be strengthened. And, you know, in my own marriage, for example, my husband is the cook. He's the chef. I am the sassy assistant. <laughs> and very <laughs> often the comic relief, right? <laughs> uh, I just had a great image of you in the kitchen being yeah. the comic relief during dinner <laughs> yes. prep time. I love it, Maggie. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, so let's just see, right? Like those roles are not inherent. We grow up with models we follow, ideas we have, internalized narratives that we adopt. And then what is a belief? Let's just go to the simplest thing. It's like a belief is just a thought we thought over and over again, right? And it can feel really true. And if you're married right now and you're listening to this and you're frustrated about something in the relationship, you can say, no, but I am better at this. And that may be true that in this moment you have exercised that muscle way more than your partner has. So yeah. And it doesn't mean you're inherently better at it than your partner. It just means you've exercised that muscle. That's how I you practiced it more. Ultimately you practiced it more. Ultimately it's kind of like nurture and nature, right? The eternal debate. Is it like nurture and nature? It's both probably. And it's a little bit of, Oh, now I've exercised this muscle so much. It feels so comfortable and familiar. I like the way I do things. I don't want to give up control on those things because I like how I do them. So one of the challenges I have sometimes that comes up is, well, I want to, you know, release the reins on some of these things, but I don't want it how my partner would do it. They would do it totally differently. There's this moment where we have to take responsibility and just decide what do we want? Do we prefer to have the discomfort of letting go of what the barbecue is going to look like on Sunday? Or do we prefer to have it exactly how we want it to be and then do all the work that that entails? Yeah, I love I love that because you're you're bringing up like the difference between like I, I like to coach a lot of my clients and in, in thinking about like what part of this is like you and the way you're approaching this and what part of this is like factual here. And so, and oftentimes it does come down to, well, I do like it a very specific way. Okay. <laughs> so that's a little bit of you, like insert, you're not even giving them opportunity to take over 
any duties because you want it a certain way. And yeah, if you want something to be different, that might be one of the things that has to be, you know, released in the end. No, I don't know until we start exploring it. Yeah. And I'll give you an example. One of my clients was doing everything all the time. And this is something I coach on just over-functioning, right? Never letting your partner fail at anything because it might hurt the kid's feelings or it might be inconvenient or it might be inconvenient even to you. And then they never evolve that muscle, right? We, we were always picking it up on their behalf. So the idea of letting something go can also feel very scary. And so we sometimes are reluctant to do that. So one of my clients, um, her homework was to give up a meal night and her husband was now in charge of that night. And they decided to call it Wacky Wednesday. And <laughs> so good. True story. Playful name. So good. Play with, listen, anytime you're making changes in your life, if you can add playfulness, I highly oh, recommend that. Highly. Yeah. So, you know, she was very healthy and she, you know, prepared foods in a very specific, very healthy way. And he's like, let's do taco night. Let's have pizza. Like all of these different things. And in the beginning, that was very difficult to release the reins of that one night. And over time, what was she was able to just look forward to that night and enjoy that night and contribute some ideas to what some, some of the things that he could do that night. And over time, I just want to say like the discomfort was real, right? And we don't want to minimize that and we don't want to make light of that. It's like, oh no, it could be massively uncomfortable. And it's really this idea of like, choose your discomfort. You can have the discomfort of overworking, feeling overburdened and burning out. Or you can have the discomfort of delegating, reimagining how some things are done, renegotiating how some things are done. You're going to have discomfort either way. There's always a discomfort that brings you closer to what you want. And there's always a discomfort that brings you farther away. You get to pick which yeah, one. I love that story. I And I have a similar client that something similar happened and, but it was with the family and you had, you you add this dynamic of like, it's not just my health and his health and what he's choosing to cook. It's like my kids and I want to instill healthy habits in my children. And it adds this like whole nother layer of like how the human I'm developing when like it adds more discomfort to it when I when it goes beyond us, I think, and it goes to our kids. And so my client experienced something very similar. And yeah, I had to get to that point, I had to get over the hump of discomfort, which took some took some time. I would propose to you that this idea that adding kids as a layer of discomfort can be both true and just another perspective we have at the same time. Like what if it's the same amount of discomfort? And what if it just requires us to be more intentional about how we think about things? So I want to tread very carefully and lovingly because I don't have kids. So I don't have a point of reference for that. But I've coached so many women that do have kids. that This is what I want to offer you. Maybe if we take my Wacky Wednesday example, the kids are going to have tacos on a Wednesday. And you'd rather that they have, I don't know, green beans or something. <laughs> But maybe we take the opportunity to teach kids how to plan. If they're going to have a treat on Wednesday, what are they having for lunch? What are they having for breakfast? Like, what if we use that opportunity of like, we live in a world where tacos exist. Right. <laughs> and they're delicious. We, and they're delicious and we love them. How do we teach our kids to manage their relationship with their tacos? I love this. And it's like, and that could be for anything that we want to insert in the place of tacos. It's like, oh, instead of removing that as an option and over protecting them and not showing them how to deal with 
making choices, right? It's like, it takes more work on the front end sometimes on our part to say, where do I land on this? What are my thoughts? How do I want to handle it? That's a little bit more work on the front end. But then on the back end, it's less work over time because you did that thoughtfulness on the front end. What are your thoughts? Because as I mentioned, I don't have kids. So what are your thoughts about that? Well, I love, I mean, I I think you're totally right that as we talk about making changes and having like, and as our spouses take things over and do things differently, it's, there's a, there's an opportunity to, to teach in that moment and to, and to help our kids learn the, you know, that two people operate differently, that that's okay, that we can manage that, that you can manage food in a different way. Like it, there's all this opportunity to talk about it based on the situation that we're talking about. So I love that. And I love that just like Maggie, you would challenge me to believe that having kids for sure feels like this next level discomfort. And it's, it isn't, I would, I would agree that it isn't, it tend like what I have seen is that it magnifies, it just magnifies things though. Like yes. it brings up so much, yes. just like all sorts of circumstances in our life can bring something up. You know, you lose your job. That yes. is a spotlight all of a sudden on all sorts of other things going on, right? Or somebody dies in your life. Like I'm going to yes. the extreme, right? And yes. some, that highlights things that you didn't see that were there, that were already there. And kids is another one that just tends to magnify you know, magnify things. Right. And so in this case, it magnifies your beliefs about how families should operate and what their role should be and who's responsible for what. And, you know, things that you probably never really thought of before, but we're all under the surface and affecting the marriage already. (laughs) And And I think, yeah, I think it's important to clarify this. It's not that kids or jobs or family situations aren't additional stressors in our lives. For sure they can be. It's that treating them as if they are this bigger mountain to climb is usually not helpful. It usually stops us from them climbing the mountain at all. So I want to really honor the fact that some things are really challenging and some situations, you know, are harder objectively than others. Totally. But when we sort of give any kind of sweeping label to something that moves us out of being solution focused and out of moving forward, that's the part that's really not helpful. And in that part, we just want to say, okay, what if this is a stressor that I also have to deal with just like any other stressor? And now what do I want to do about it? I hope that's more clear. For sure. Versus saying like, oh my gosh, nobody else deals with this. And this is so hard. And I have it's my circumstances. My husband isn't even home, you know, five nights a week. And you kind of can get on this rant and it feels so much more difficult of a mountain to climb as you frame it that way. It's really, this comes down to usefulness ultimately, right? Yes. It's not super useful exactly. to think about your situation in an extreme way thinking like you're alone in this or that it's some something bigger than you know it is even if objectively it, it might be more it's just a not useful place to take it versus to just notice factually the circumstances on where you're at and then ultimately deciding now hey what am i going to do about that yeah yeah so let's there's there's two parts of like responsibilities that women tend to bring up there's like the physical ones and like the cleaning of the house and who's going to go grocery shopping and who's going to make the lunches for the kids sort of deal. And then there's the mental ones, like who is planning for thinking ahead of time to plan for the vacation and make sure everybody has their passports so that they can get somewhere or who is planning for next month's lunch 
calendar and looking at the lunch calendar and thinking ahead about what their kid is, if their kid is going to take lunch, you know, take a lunch or have lunch there or not or whatnot and thinking ahead to do that or, oh, we're, we have swim after class. And so we should definitely pack that bag so that it's ready to go because you're going to need it in your car. And like, who's taking on the mental weight of, of responsibility. So there's like this mental weight and there's this physical, like physical weight or the responsibility, two different types of responsibilities that tend to be, tend to be talked about. And the physical ones for a lot of people can tend to be managed on some level. Like we could split duties. It's easier to like, it's easier to say, I'm just going to let him cook for a couple of days and I can deal with that, you know, but the, the, the idea that that is out there that, you know, women are the ones that tend to like think about things way ahead of time and they have to remind their spouse, like if we want them to take on any responsibility, we have to remind them to do it. And then that feels weighty to us. You know, it's it's interesting. Yeah. So that happens a lot, right? Like there are all these articles and, you know, schools of thought around the mental load that women carry. So Women are carrying mental load. We don't want to ignore that, right? We are doing it. But the question is, why? And do we want to carry the same one? And what is there to renegotiate? And what is there to reimagine? And what do we want that, the things that we carry to be, right? Where are we at choice with those things that we're carrying? And that are, uh, is often the times when I know people come to you and people come to me for help very specifically figuring that out. It's not clear cut very often. And it's not, it's, it's both simple and hard at the same time, because as we have internalized patriarchal mindsets, so do our partners. And I want to acknowledge, like, I'm a woman married to a man and Rebecca's a woman married to a man. So there's sort of an unconscious heteronormativity about our conversation where we talk about women married to men. But these, these negotiations happen because all of us, both women and men, who, no matter which gender you're married to, have internalized patriarchal ideas. You should be in charge of this, and I should be in charge of that, and this is how it should flow, no matter what kind of relationship you're in. So let's just say, number one, okay, we're in this situation, we're carrying the mental load, and it's not working. The first place I would invite anyone that's going through this to go is, how do you want it to be? Where would satisfaction lie? What does success look like? What do you never want to think about again? <laughs> mm, that's an right? interesting question. Yeah. So let's say your kids play soccer or something and you're like, I never want to think about the shoes and the, you know, the uniform. I just never want to think about it again. Let's give that as an example, just because it's concrete. Okay. Then what does that look like? And here's the place where we get creative and we have to think about it. And there is no right or wrong solution. There is no one way. It's what works for you and your family. For some people, your partner be, may be able to take over. It's like, listen, I never want to deal with that again. However you figure it out, I don't care. I'm just, I'm never buying more of those shoes. I'm never standing in line <laughs> to do the thing. Like, right. I'm just not doing registration. I'm not doing. Yeah. That and sometimes the, and the parent some, or the partner sometimes, excuse me, goes, yeah, okay. I got it. Like best case scenario, like partner goes, Oh, I got that one then. Okay. Don't worry about that. And if that's not <laughs> the case, right. If your partner says, well, I don't want to do it either. Then we redecide, reimagine, renegotiate. What is, what is the solution? Guess what? Our kid loves soccer. How do we solve this? Do you want to do it? Do I want to do it? Like how, how do we acknowledge maybe neither of us wants to do this thing? What is an equitable distribution of duties? Yeah. I what love feels it. good to you. 
Yeah, I love I love this. And what came up to me, because of course, what I think happens for a lot of us is that we have that conversation and then somehow we get to the conclusion, you know, okay, partner's going to take on soccer and everything related to soccer from forever, you know, from here, from here, from here on out. There is a period of time where that transfer happens. Yes. <laughs> and it doesn't mean you're going to stop thinking about soccer if you were the one that were, was always thinking about soccer. You're still going to think about it. And there's going to be a period of time where they aren't, like they're not in the practice of it. And so they're going to forget sometimes because they're not in the practice of it. And so when they're, when they forget, because that's bound to happen on some level, we go, oh, well, they clearly they can't do it. And so I have to do it. And so I pick it back up again. And then, you know, and then there's this belief that, well, they can't really do this. And so now I have to do it again. We, you know, we take it back. Right. So let's pause there for a second, because Thinking about overfunctioning, whenever we do not let our partners experience the consequences of their actions or non-actions, we are depriving them of the opportunity to A, work out that muscle, whatever that muscle is, right? To B, figure it out for themselves. Like we're taking away their resourcefulness. So I identify as a feminist. I think many of the people who listen to your podcast would identify similarly. Like we want the equality and the power of women, not more than anyone else, just equal to anyone else. Right. And so if we, if we lean into what does equal power mean, it means I don't deprive you of your agency. And in a very real way, when I'm over functioning, thinking I'm being helpful to you and to maybe the kid, the poor kid, the innocent child who just wants to play soccer, right? (laughs) Depriving you of your agency, right? I'm not actually helping. Yeah. For sure. Now, somebody's going to listen to this and say, lady, what are you talking about? I'm depriving them of their agency. What the heck is that? Right. But I really invite you to sit with the idea that experiencing the consequences of our actions is a vital part of growth. If we look into the research around psychology and stress, right, a little bit of stress is needed in life for us to do all the things that we do, right? for a flower to grow, for nature to function, right? (laughs) When we push up against something is how that muscle ends up growing and getting stronger. So when we swoop in, anything that requires the feeling of swooping, (laughs) you can just stop doing that right now. Right, right, for sure. I love that. You just say, you know, my life coaches, Rebecca and Maggie told me to stop swooping. So if you miss the game, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And maybe your kid misses the game or is late to the game because then your partner has to go back and get the soccer things that they forgot at the house. And now there's a consequence of a relationship between the partner and the kid who's really upset. But you better believe that partner's probably not going to be missing the soccer kids the next next time. (laughs) And this is something that also comes up all the time. And it's very, very simple. And I ask everyone to think about this. What is mine and what is yours? It is very common in an intimate relationship to have very nebulous lines between what is mine and what is yours. And when we're type A driven women who like to get things done, everything becomes mine. Right. Right. And we've done that. Think about it in our teams at work. For sure. And, you know, when we're volunteer, if we're volunteering at school or doing something with other people, this isn't just something that happens in our marriages. Everything becomes mine. 
if you're in that situation, this is the opportunity. Let today be the turning point where you just start asking yourself over and over again, wait, is that mine? No, that's this other person's. Is that mine? No. Oh, this is mine. Okay, this is what I'm going to do with this thing that's mine. And there will be things that are currently yours that don't belong to you. Give them back. Right. Give them back. So good. I love it. And I love this idea of like failure is uncomfortable for us, obviously, as humans. It's meant to be uncomfortable on some level. That's what it's building resiliency. It's building lessons. It's building strength. It's, you know, it's building all this stuff. So we know, we know failure is good and whatnot, but it's very uncomfortable and it's very uncomfortable to watch someone we love fail. Yes. Maybe even more so. Yes. (laughs) So watch our partner fail at something. And to then, in this case, because we're talking about them, uh, giving them space to fail as you sort out a new, more equitable household and not make it personal (laughs) and not mean something went wrong and not mean that, you know, this isn't going to work to not take the failure and then extrapolate big meaning out of it. Yes. Versus just, oh, well, of course there was going to be a, likely there was going to be a grace period of failure or not even a grace period, but sort of, there's going to be the season. And and not even failure, like yes to all of that. And if you imagine walking into a gym and you've never lifted a weight before and you try to start at the 50 pound and you can't, no one would judge you for that. We would have no thoughts about it. We'd say, hey, come over here. Let's start with the 10s. Right. So it's like if you imagine what we're talking about today as emotional weight that we need to learn to carry, then we can say, you know, this person is just going to have to start wherever they are. And by the way, the assumption that they're going to forget, which might be accurate for some people, let's remove that, too. This person could be forgetful. They have to figure out how to remember things. Right. They have a job. They obviously were wise enough to marry you. They figured out how to show up that day. Like, let's give their resourcefulness back to them to say, oh, you're going to be in charge of this thing. Okay. Hey, do you need my help to figure out? Like, you know, I'm here. I've done it for five years. So if you want any tips, I'm happy to give them. You know what I do? I put reminders on my phone. That really helps me because there's so many meetings and things I have to do, whatever that the case may be, right? But let's assume resourcefulness of our partners. And that kind of sounds like, what do you mean? But I know he's forgetful. I know she's forgetful, whatever the thing is, right? It's like, yeah. And by the way, literally my husband says his phone is his second brain. Like literally I am married to a man who genuinely is forgetful, but I don't (laughs) like solve that for him. He writes things on his phone. And when I want him to remember something, I'll ask him, Hey, do you want me to send you an appointment? Like sometimes I, I actually, it's happening this weekend as we record this once a month, I meet my girlfriends and we do something together. And I like him to be updated so he knows I'm going to be away, you know, and not available to do things together. So I send him an invite so he doesn't have to remember which weekend I'm going out with my friends or what's going on. It's just on his calendar, right? So I can help him in that, but I don't take it over. Mm -hmm. And if he forgets, you don't point it back to you as doing something wrong or pointing it back to him that he's not labeling him as being forgetful, you know, not resourceful or whatever it is Yes, because of it. Right. I love this idea of like stripping labels. I wrote that down because it feels like what our thoughts about our spouse (laughs) dictate a lot of how we respond to our spouse. And so this 
you know, in this case, like really believing that he is resourceful, that he like believing that he can do it in the first place is likely one of the very core pieces of like this, this learning this transition, right? And taking things off of your plate and giving them away. And let's think about Let's think about this. Um, there was an article a few years back about, I think it was elementary school teachers. We'd have to look it up. But the gist of the article was that the kids in the class performed according to the teacher's expectations. So when the teachers expected the kids to get good grades and learn the material and really just integrate everything, the kids did. And when the teachers had very low expectations from the kids and just expected them not to understand and not to pass the test, Yes. They didn't. Did you right. do you remember this? This is a few I, years I mean, ago. I totally yeah. have a recollection yeah. of this for yeah. sure. So let's extrapolate for a sec, right? This was like in a mass way with like, I don't know, hundreds of teachers. Let's imagine this, you know, in the micro at home. Like when we expect someone to figure things out, are they more likely or less likely to figure it out? Let's test it. Let's find <laughs> out. Like we don't know. Let's see. We and it's sort of like this duality around lowering our expectations and raising our expectations at the same time. Like not needing our partners to be any particular way, but holding with compassion and love that they could rise to the occasion and what could that be like? And not deciding ahead of time that they won't. Right. Yeah. You know what this is reminding me of? This is reminding me of like the season that happens with kids when we know that they're capable of doing something. They're like, for example, my four-year-old right now, totally capable of putting on his shoes. He's been able to put on his shoes for a while now. And when I ask him to do it, I got a very low percentage chance that he's going to do it. Yeah. Because who needs shoes? Let's walk around the world without For sure. For sure. For lots of reasons, he chooses (laughs) to not put on his shoes right now in this season. But I don't make that mean that he can't put on his shoes. I still believe that he can put on his shoes regardless of if he does it every single time that I ask him to do it. And, you know, we, we believe when we start to believe certain things about our kids, we give so much grace to our kids because we think that they're kids and that they're just learning. And so we get less frustrated. I get less frustrated at my four-year-old when he doesn't put his shoes on. It's like, well, he's only four and you know, I assume sometimes he's not going to put on his shoes and I'm okay with that. And I don't get frustrated at that. And I don't that make that mean anything about him as a kid. And like, oh my God, he can't even put on his shoes. And where is he going to go in life? And like, you know, yeah, what's this going right. to be like? There's this natural grace that we give to our kids that we don't give to our partners. But I feel like we can, like, there's something that we can relate to is if we think about the kind of genuine belief that we have in our children, like we can take that same belief and pass that on to our partners, assuming we want to, you know, assume we're, of course, this entire podcast is talking about, yes, we believe we we want to get to that point, And we believe that the partner we're with is capable and it's possible. And well, here's the big thing. You have to believe that they're capable and possible and you have to do the work to combat all of those thoughts that you have probably been has been percolated in your brain for quite some time, which is that he isn't capable and it isn't possible, which is why you have to take it all on. And that story, that narrative really has to change. It's not useful and it has to change at the core. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, let's say you're in a marriage, you have kids. There's a lot of things in your life that are going well, but there are a few things that aren't. 
we want to just zoom out and have that perspective of like you married your partner for a reason in the first place. They have qualities that are kind and generous and good and things that you enjoy in that human. And they're also not going to react the same way that you will to different challenges and adventures that you're going to have in your lifetime together. And what we want to do is we want to say all of it is okay. We just have to figure out how to get you in a situation where you're not burnt out, overwhelmed, and resentful. Like, like I know Rebecca's goal is to help you move out of that. And my goal is to help you move out of that, right, in, in different ways. And it's like, okay, one of the ways is to say, what do I need to stop doing? What do I never want to touch again? What do I need to reimagine, renegotiate? And really that part of our work doesn't even involve our partners. It's like, what would success look like to me? What would feel nourishing? Oh, I want to have Saturday mornings to just be creative and do whatever. Okay, how do I set up my life to create that thing that I want? And then one of the things we were talking about that I just want to loop back to is you don't want to do it. Maybe the partner doesn't want to do it. Does it need to be done at all? Is a question I ask all the time. Okay, we set up our lives in such a way. It's like, wait, does this actually need to be done? How often? Sometimes it's the frequency. Oh, we do need to do this, but we only need to do it once a month. Okay. And then if it does need to be done and neither of us wants to do it and I'm not available for it, like, let's just say, I'm just not available for that anymore. Okay. What needs to happen? Are we hiring a college kid? Are we you know, changing from, I don't know, carpet to hardwood floors, like what needs to happen so we never have to deal with it again, whatever the thing may be, that will also require some creativity. And that's why I use the word reimagine. Like let's yeah. make it a completely clean slate and start fresh. And one of the things that I see happen very often, and Rebecca, I'm curious whether you see this too, is, you know, I've been married for 14 years, over 14 years. Me and too. they're just, yay! 2000, okay. 2007. Yes, 2007. May. So good. What month? What month? Uh, July. July. See? Love it. Okay. So good. Spring and summer weddings. Love <sighs> it. Okay. <laughs> Do we have to have a, another episode on something about that? Okay. <laughs> so we made, we made these decisions maybe 14 years ago, and Rebecca's in my case. We did actually make some decisions 14 years ago. And then we never revisit it again. And maybe we've had career changes, promotions, new jobs, new kits, new house, whatever. All of these different things have evolved. And we're still doing something that we agreed to in 2007. And it doesn't work now. So sometimes it's not even about whether your partner will or won't or what are they, you know, refusing to do. It's like, wait, we made this agreement back when I had more time and you didn't. And, and no, you have more time this and I way don't. or whatnot. Right? And yeah, whatever everything. it may be. So another thing I really want to invite everyone who's listening to do is just if there's something that's not working, just check in. How long ago did I make that decision? What are all the things that have changed since then? And what do I want that decision to be now? And then how do I approach that as a team with my partner? So one thing I don't want to lose sight of is I teach this um, communication framework. It's called Soul Centered Communication. And one of the pieces of it, the L in the soul, is being loving towards myself and the other person. And everything we were talking about today, I invite you to think about it through the lens of if I was being loving towards myself and the other person, how would I approach it? It's really that equality that we talk about in feminism or that equality that we're looking for is I am not above or below that other person. They are not above or below me. Their interests and desires and passions are equally as important as my interests, desires, and passions. So how do we solve it if that's the case? So good. I love that you you keep bringing it back to this like 
this equitable place, like yes. in beliefs that we are equals, that that it's not that neither one of us are better or worse. Maybe one is more practiced than the other, but that we don't want to label that as being better or worse or more gifted or not, or whatever it may be. Like we don't want to label it any of that. And to just believe at this very like neutral level or like equal neutral level that we're both on the same playing field. We both have the same level of ability to, to get things done. And you know, this is, and every time we're talking about this and I keep thinking about my, obviously my relationship with my husband, as we're talking about marriages and there is like a lot of things that I do, of course, in our family, there's a lot of things that he does. And I go away. I was away, you know, together, we were just away for a week and everything got done. Yes. (laughs) And what didn't get done, didn't matter. And it didn't matter. And we talked about it. And I love when I come home and talking to him, like, tell me about like, what you did, what you felt like you did really well over the last week with yeah. like, at, just as a, as a parent, as a father, you know, like in managing things. And I love like hearing some of the things that he has to say, but I remember some of those first times leaving him by himself and, and both of us just kind of going, well, we're just going to assume that you're going to figure it out, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? And we both just had that assumption that it would be figured out. And exactly that point, like what, what mattered would happen and, and so forth and coming home. And now, you know, my oldest is almost seven and, and this being the last trip I was since, you know, recently away, him kind of being going like going, Oh yeah. Like, like I remember the first trip and it was like, he was like, I'm so glad you're home, like pulling his hair out kind of thing because he'd never done it before and he was learning things. And now, seven years later, he's like, oh, yeah, no, it was great. I mean, it was there was no like zero issues here. <laughs> like we managed it. They loved it. And it's so I can see I could see his growth. I could see my growth. Like I can see their relationship dynamic change, you know, over the time. And it's just it's so like there's ex- and I know that every every working mom has this experience. You might you might be so stressed and anxious to be leaving your kids <laughs> with your with your partner to manage life. And I bet you got back and everybody was alive. <laughs> yeah. It's Which like, means, what is the essentials, right? For sure. They, they can figure it out. Like for sure. We have to believe they can figure it out. Yeah. And I, so I want to like, I almost, I, I love, I like systematizing things. I'm like it's the way my brain works. And so I like, there's three things that we've already like pulled out as we, as we talk about, cause the goal here is like the, at the end of this podcast, as we talk about it, is we want to talk about some tools and some ways to help women relieve working moms relieve the pressure that they feel to kind of always be the ones that hold on to the you know hold on to the responsibilities right so that's kind of the goal is to help in that process of doing that and you know so far like three major things have stood out to me one is starting with like questioning your foundational beliefs about why you as the female of the relationship like why are you the one that is holding the responsibilities to begin with. And where does that, like at a base level, just allowing yourself to say, whatever I believed about this is probably not true. (laughs) And that then number two, that leads to like, what are your thoughts about your spouse taking some of these things over and starting to like clue into, do you even believe that he can do some of these things or they can do some of these things? And if you don't, like that's probably a really big starting place for you is to have to start to really build up a different 
different set of thoughts and a different set of beliefs about him as in his ability to do that. And so there's like the thoughts about you and then there's the thoughts about him and his ability. And also let's, let's pause there for a second to say, and it may not be that your spouse takes over. There may be some things that you say, this is the thing that I will fall on that sword. I will be in charge of that to the day I die. There may be when you do this evaluation for yourself, there may be things that you say that is mine and I'm keeping it. No problem. But then it becomes a choice and not some unconscious burden that we didn't realize we took on. And then you even relate to it differently, even if you're doing and about that thing, the same amount of work. You just relate to it differently. So that's one. The other thing is it invites you to say, okay, if this is the thing that matters to me the most, what are the things I need to eliminate so that I have the space, the mental, emotional, actual time on my calendar space to really give this thing that does matter to me the attention that I want to give it. So even if you keep some things, you're still in different relationship around the rest of the stuff and how you organize that. So that's one. And the other thing is, it may not be your spouse. It may be you outsource it to uh, someone who's equipped to do whatever that thing is. It may be you stop doing it or you find a different way to get that thing done. And to give you a very simple example, so I mentioned my husband is the chef in the family and he wasn't feeling well the other day. And I said, well, I can warm things, right? Let's make our expectations clear. I, I, I have some skills. I have like, what is it, Liam Neeson? I have a unique set of skills. I can warm things. I warm can door things dash, a microwave for sure. Right. And, you know, I can make breakfast for dinner anytime. A variety of breakfast foods that are all delicious, right? Great. So it's like, but that's lower the expectations. These are the things I can do. And I and and so here's what's available to you as an option, right? So I just want to give that idea that it's like, it's not like I'm giving something up and now my spouse is in charge. We often enter into some of these ideas. It's like, let me hand this over to this person who is even less equipped to handle it than I am. And that's not the goal either. It's, oh, A, does it need to get done? Does it need to get done by me? How does it need to get done so that we can work as a family? It's a bigger picture sort of idea than I have to hand it over to you and that's how it has to be. Right, right. Yeah, because there is, there is a, and this, and I, and you went here, this was really like the third point of here, which was like, you have the thoughts about you and the role you have the thoughts about your spouse and their ability. And then you have what you've been pointing to a lot, which is like, it starts with evaluation. <laughs> like it, it has to start with after you have all those thoughts out there, it's like, okay, now let's talk about what's the circumstances are. Like, what are, in fact, the responsibilities that that are out there? Are any of these, do we just need to let them go? <laughs> totally. Do we need to outsource them? Like, you start there. I love some of your questions, which I want to highlight. Like, what do you really want to do? <laughs> what do you hate doing? You know, what do you feel is what you're particularly gifted at? You know, I mean, there's, there's so what do you think they're particularly gifted at and would kind of fit naturally in their skill set? Like just starting to open up questions about all of these, all of these various responsibilities and duties that we have as, you know, as humans and as partners and then as parents and, and get it all out there and start evaluating it. Because from there, now you have, now you can go, okay, because my guess is some of these things will just make sense naturally, right? As you just get it out there, it's going to be very clear for sure. I I am the cook in the family, but that's because I love to cook, not because I'm a woman. Right. <laughs> I love to cook. And 
a couple years ago, my husband was like, I just feel like this is too much for you. And I was saying it was too much. He's like, he took over one night and now he's taken over two nights and now he's taken over the third night. And it's super helpful, but it came in a very natural place that felt very, you know, that was, that was like together we collaborated in figuring those things out. And maybe that's another, that's an like almost like this fourth step after you evaluate is to collaborate. Yes. A hundred percent. Yes. And I love your example of cooking because here's what it brought up for me is, and I know a lot of the, the women who listen to this podcast are professional people who are faced with professional decisions all the time which is what is the opportunity cost of making this decision? So what am I giving up to have this? So let's say that you love cooking, but it takes you whatever, three hours. And so you're giving up those three hours to have the joy of the cooking, but really giving up those three hours at the ages that your kids are at isn't the best use of your time, even though you love cooking. So it's like, oh, what is the opportunity cost? And I'll give you sort of a wacky example, but it's just to illustrate something that I used to scrapbook. I was a scrapbooker. I used to do it on paper. Then I did it digitally. I love, I still love that. And having an online business, I would use a Canva and make my graphics, right? It is zero useful to my business for me to spend any time on Canva, even though I love doing it. (laughs) Yeah. And every once in a while, I'll still go and I'll make something just because it's fun. And I acknowledge that it's just, it's fun for me to do it. It's not actually like really a, like the highest and best use of my time. That's always a great question is what is the highest and best use of my time? No, you've offered some real gems. I hope everybody is writing these down. There's some great evaluative questions here. Yeah, I, I, I literally am like in love with questions. I think that questions... There's that saying that is like the quality of your life rises to the quality of the questions you ask yourself. And I'm all about the questions. (laughs) So I'm glad there's some juicy good ones in this one. Um, So it's like, what is the highest and best use of my time? So even though I love doing this thing, it might not be the thing. Like I might have to let go of doing something I actually enjoy for a bigger picture goal around my family, around my kids, around my career, whatever it may be. And that trade-off, right, which is the trade-off I'm willing to make is part of that evaluation moment that we do that we say, oh, I'm not willing to make that trade-off or I am. For sure. Yeah. I think, I, for example, I think a great example of this is the cleanliness of our house. Yes. <laughs> so for a lot of type A women, <laughs> you know, we like our clean, clutter-free houses and for sure adding additional people into a home, aka your kids, it becomes exponentially harder to keep your house the way you want it to be kept. And yes, I have gone through a process myself of of deciding, going through an evaluation process of sorts and deciding the cleanliness of my house is not as important as much as I love it and I have like clung to it before. It's not as important as me having 30 minutes of time with my kids where I play a game with them, you know, and, and have that quality time. And so like if I were to take you, this room looks particularly yes. particularly good. But if yeah. I walked you outside into into my living room, for example, you would see my our entire dining room for is right now covered in blankets and every chair and my daughter has 
has made this massive fort and she has brought every little trinket she can find and it has a place in her fort and the other room has trains out and it has all these things it's all been out for the whole week <laughs> and it's so hard to walk through for me and every time though I go you know what this isn't worth it though this isn't worth me taking the time to clean it up for lots of reasons one is it's just going to come out back out again but two they have spent so much time in that fort and so much time playing with those trains that has allowed me space that I've needed to like rest and rejuvenate without in them being totally occupied, not on a screen or whatever. Then there's been so many times that when they haven't been playing, like we just use another area of the house and we all sit down and we play a game. And it's like, I just know that that trade-off is worth it. <laughs> and my husband and I have agreed. And then for, and actually what happened just two days ago is we looked at each other right before bed and we were like, I think it's time that the house gets picked up. And we were like, yep, when are we going to do that? Okay, we're going to do that Friday night. It's going to happen soon because today is Friday before movie night. <laughs> Love it. We're going to make yeah. a whole family do the cleanup of the house. And so for the last two days, my brain kept offering to me, oh my gosh, this is like, this is a problem. This is something that needs to get done. And I go, nope, I've decided on Friday night together, we are all going to clean up this. It's going to have its time and place. And it's not just me. It's a collaboration with my husband. We've decided. We've talked about it together. We evaluated. We decided. And I feel better. And now I can manage my brain every time I it wants to offer to me as I walk around my homes, particularly since I work in my home, how like messy this place is, you know? I, what I love about that example is because I don't have kids, I think that everything you told me is the most amazing miracle and so awesome. And it's like, there's a fairy fort and then there's trains. It's like, <laughs> that was the dream. You're living the dream. Right? And by the way, I just want to mention, I don't have kids by choice. I'm not suffering in any way. I know that's a very delicate thing. You know. So <laughs> yes. I want to mention that. Thank you. But I, like when you were describing it, it's just like, oh my gosh, like that, those are memories they will keep forever. Will keep forever. And, me too. And how awesome is that right? Every once in a while, she invites me in and I got to look around at this very amazing <laughs> fort that she has created. <laughs> it's Love so it. fun. So For fun. sure, I would trade off the clutter and the messiness of my house, which is a responsibility that is really high for me. And I would trade it all off for these moments hands down, but that's only because I have consciously thought about it. Yeah. That's what we're inviting everyone to do is like, there is no right or wrong answer. Everything we talked about, there will be unique situations where some of the things we said will apply and some of them won't. But the idea is that you go to it with intentionality and decide what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we have a little bit of a framework to help people. I'm really curious though, about what you would say about like, a lot of women get stuck. It's like, I feel like I, I've requested, I've asked, I've I feel like I've tried to invite in and I still can't get my spouse to right. take on X, Y, or Z and how to handle that particular maybe resistance or whatever might be coming up for, for them in their, their marriage and how to like push through that when it does in fact feel like it's not like the door of communication isn't open or change isn't happening. So this is a multi-layered thing and we're going to just address it in some simplicities right now, like some points to start at, but this is really why Rebecca has a program. What's the name of your program? Right. It's called the ambitious and balanced working moms collective. Yeah. So this is why we have programs like this, because this is something that will require you know, more than what we could share in a podcast. And your right? program, Maggie. 
my program was called the marriage MBA and it's like the relationship skills they didn't teach you in school. We, we do. So, but here's a place to start. First of all, for everyone to know, anytime we have a mother relationship with a partner, that's poison. So anytime we're in some form where we could have a motherish feeling that needs to stop <laughs> immediately. Okay. It's poison. And think about what I was saying about you're not above, you're not below, you're equal. Right. So when you have a mom and you have kids, of course, you're the guardian of that child and you're in a position of power with that human and it's absolutely appropriate and it's the perfect thing. This is, this is poison in a marriage. It needs to stop. And if you're struggling with stopping it, you need to like join Rebecca's program, listen to my podcast, you know, do the things. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we say, I've tried, I've asked, I've done. Okay. I don't know. I'm not there. I don't know how you've tried or what you've done or how you said it. Many times with many of my clients, the way we've done it hasn't been the best way. The way we've done it, and we know it wasn't the best way because it didn't work. It didn't right? work. Right. So one of the things I teach is super simple. It's called request versus demands. And when we make a request, at the end of the request, there's no emotional price to pay if the answer is no. At the end of a demand, there's an emotional price to pay. I get pouty. I give you the face. I might be quiet. I might, you know, I might start being aggressive, either passively or actively. Like, so when I've tried and I've done all these things, what, in what way did I try? We need to evaluate. We need to check. Did I come at that request from my highest and best and most loving self? And if I did, right? Okay, I did. We're at peace with that. But if I didn't, we just need to check. Not from a place of blaming or saying that it was wrong. It just wasn't effective. We need to find a better way. So that's places we need to troubleshoot. Then the next thing is the assumption that your spouse should do it, which we talked about already, which is sometimes I've asked, I've requested, it's like, they're not good at that either, right? Let's, what, what is the actual real goal? I know Rebecca and I both spend a lot of time thinking and helping our clients like, solve the right problem. What is the problem you're trying to solve? If the problem is you not doing it, the only answer is not for your spouse to do it. The answer is, I don't do it anymore. Let's figure it out. So we want to check on that. Now, let's say we came as our highest and best self. It is something that our spouse really can do, and they just don't want to. Then the place we take our brain is, I have married a human who doesn't want to do this thing. It's just not their cup of tea. So for example, um, we order like Home Chef, one of those meal preparation services. And I thought, oh, this will be my chance to really get familiar with the kitchen. And maybe, who knows, maybe I have some secret cooking gene I didn't know I had. <laughs> but as it turns out, I did do a bunch of things in the kitchen. I did collaborate a little. And I, we have just confirmed that that is not my thing. I will never have an interest in it. Right. We will never die of hunger, like because I can warm things. And you have awesome breakfasts, I hear. I mean, then there's awesome breakfasts. Lovey, lovey scrambled eggs. Um, but we have arrived at the idea where I am physically capable as a human of doing things in the kitchen. I just don't want to. Right. So then it's up to my husband to say, Can I accept that I married a human who has no interest in this thing? Does she have other virtues that are trade-offs I'm willing to make? And then how do I, how do we solve it that we're still eating meals every day? Like, okay, we still need to eat meals. So it's not like the thing goes away, but how do we figure that out in a way that works for us? Yeah. Yeah. So good. I love it. I love it. There's a focus on us first always. And like, being very honest, how did we approach it? What was I coming at it from a place of pure 
like love and and belief in them and so forth. And so there's always that check-in. And then, but always that place of like, I love that it always circles back to I still want to be in this marriage and and I want to be in this marriage, which means that I also have to accept that the person I married doesn't want to do X, Y, or Z. Or it doesn't want to develop that skill. You don't want to develop the skill of cooking. Of course you could. And of course you could probably become a cook of some kind if you wanted to, but you don't. And so focusing then our attention on not the lack that our spouse has, but instead on all of the other things that they bring into the marriage and into the family and so forth. And I'll tell you this because I obviously help people make their marriages stronger on a regular basis. And a lot of my clients, you know, go on to have brand new chapters in their relationships and it's amazing. But some of my clients get divorced. And I want to mention that like if you're in this this stage where you're really overwhelmed and you're really burned out and you don't know which way it's going to go, everything we've talked about today will help you be very clear what your partner's available for, what your partner's not available for. And then you can decide. Decide. Yeah. Do I want this? Yeah. And the way I look at it is, what is the best relationship I can have for this human? Let's have that first. And then do I want that one? Mm-hmm. I love that. And when you do that, what I have found um, with clients where they really decided that it was really best to not stay together, I'm remembering one that told me, you know, if I hadn't have done this work, I would have just been like treading water and like accepting excuses or things that didn't align with my values as opposed to saying, this is what I want. Do you want that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I love that. And, you know, I, of course, the bringing up divorce is never something that comes up very, doesn't come up lightly, right? Ever. And I know whenever it comes up with my clients, it's always this moment of like, whoa, I I don't want to go. You know, usually it's like, no, I don't want to go there at all. Oh, but I'm acting as if there's no other option here. I'm like, I, my, my, behavior and thoughts are as if, (laughs) as if I'm, I'm limiting that, you know? And so as soon as we, that subject comes up, not always, but oftentimes it's like, oh, let's back up here then. (laughs) Now that I know that that's not what I want and it doesn't make even make sense to me, but I can see how my brain has taken it to this extreme because that's what our brain likes to do, likes to go to this extreme place. Yes. And sometimes even just asking the question. So as coaches, sometimes we can be very blunt and I'll say, well, is this the thing you want to divorce that person over? And then my clients will always say, no, it's right. never this thing. And it's <laughs> like, okay, but that even that clarity is really useful because it's like, okay, so in that case, how do we make it work? What do you need to get your needs met? And then how do we approach it from a more constructive way? Because if that's off the table for now, then let's see what else can be on that table. Yeah. I love it. Oh my gosh, Maggie, this has been, I mean, I feel like we could just go on and on and on, but we're at that point. I have a feeling. So this has been so much fun connecting with you over the subject. I mean, there is no one better to talk about um, our marriages with, I think, than Maggie Reyes. And she has an amazing program. Tell us a little bit about your program and how, if people were interested in looking at it, how they can find it. And of course, I'm going to put it all in the show notes too. Okay, absolutely. So the Marriage MBA, it's a six-month coaching and mentoring program. I teach relationship skills, and then I coach you where you get stuck in implementing them. That is the shortest way to describe it. You can go to maggiereyes.com forward slash group, and there's a whole overview of the whole approach that I take. And I have a podcast called The Marriage Life Coach Podcast, 
where every week I talk about marriage in a way that I don't think anyone else is talking about marriage with, you know, as we talked today, very grounded, but very loving towards you and to your partner approach to really have a thriving relationship. So definitely I invite you to go and subscribe to that and check that out. That will help you um, for sure. And thank you so much for just having this conversation. I think the more we have these conversations, the happier we can become. And to me, when a woman takes authority over her relationship, like that's the ultimate freedom is to say, I want this to go a different way. So here's what I'm going to do about it. And then to experience that is like so powerful. So thank you. Yes, of course. I love it. I love it. Working moms out there. Let's, let's get to it. Hey, before you go, I want to take a moment and tell you about an opportunity to speak with me directly. If you've been listening to this podcast and still feel like you need help balancing a fulfilling career with motherhood, then I encourage you to schedule a free breakthrough call. On this call, we will get crystal clear on exactly what it is you want out of your career and how you want to balance that with motherhood. And then we'll craft next steps for you to start moving toward a more calm, and fulfilling working mom life. Head over to www.rebeccaolsoncoaching.com forward slash book to apply for this free call. Till next week and working moms, let's get to it. <music>